inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Hello, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Be sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I appreciate all the ratings and reviews you've left me, and I love the comments and ideas, so please keep them coming my way. Since the last time we recorded, we've had a wet, cool summer around here, and that means the grass is green and tall, the horses are fat, uh, they're actually getting tired of the green grass and starting to prefer some hay. I don't really have any huge summer plans for this year because I live here in the glorious mountains of Colorado and there's no time better than summer to enjoy living in Colorado. I've been spending a lot of time riding my horses, hiking, boating, fishing. I've been doing a lot of stand-up paddling this year, which I really love. Living in the mountains as I do, I really enjoy being home in July and August when the nights are cool, the mornings are warm and sunny, we get afternoon thunderstorms almost every day. My ranch is just about a half a mile from the National Forest Access and we're surrounded by 14,000 foot peaks, so we really enjoy getting up in the high country. We like to get up there on our own feet on a mountain bike or on a horse, whatever transportation we've got, we, we enjoy being up there. People are often shocked when I tell them I spend a lot of time boating when they know I live in the mountains, but I'm only 100 miles away from a pretty big reservoir that was built by damming the Arkansas River. The mountain valley I live in is called the Upper Arkansas Valley, and these are the headwaters of the, Ar the Arkansas River, which flows all the way uh, eventually to the Mississippi. So we have our boats and a marina there, and I really enjoy spending a lot of time on the water, whether I'm swimming or paddling or doing toe sports or fishing. Um, if I'm not riding a horse, where I'd prefer to be is on a boat. Summer in Colorado is the perfect place for people who love outdoor sports, and that includes me. So because of that, I've always planned my annual schedule so that I can be home during July and August to make the most of it. But soon, fall is going to be here, and that signals the time for me to get back on the road. I've got a few clinics and conferences and expos coming up this fall. September 11th and 12th, I'll be in Florida, North Florida actually, at the Alachua County Ag and Equestrian Center in Newberry, Florida. That clinic is open to riders of all ability levels, all disciplines, all breeds. We do general horsemanship both in the ground and in the saddle with the goal being to just advance and improve your relationship with the horse, your riding, your communication, your horse's ground manners, all of these things. It's $400 to ride in the clinic for the weekend, $25 per day for spectators. I'm excited that we have a lot of interest in this clinic so far, but rider spots are limited. We still have a few openings, so give us a call today if you're interested in riding in that clinic and you can go online and sign up at any time. There's more info at juliegoodnight.com. Just click on events. 
I have two new programs this fall at the Sea Lazy U Ranch in Granby, Colorado. The first is in early October, and it's a women's leadership program aimed at business executives using horses as a model to uh, broaden your leadership skills. And then the other new program I'm doing at the Sea Lazy U in October is a five-day horsemanship immersion program. This is a program I developed based on demand from people over the years that are looking for intensive study opportunities. That's what you're going to get at the Horsemanship Immersion Program. We're going to study everything from behavior, health, nutrition, first aid, training, ground manners, improving riding skills, and you'll also get the opportunity to trail ride in the mountains every day. So it's going to be a fabulous program specifically designed for those insatiable learners. Again, go to juliegoodnight.com slash events for more information. In November this year, I'll be in Fort Worth, Texas for the CHA International Conference. And by the way, this is an awesome hands-on educational program. It's open to anyone, although it is targeting riding instructors and other horse professionals. And I'll be doing clinics and workshops there. My friend and colleague, Barbara Schulte, is going to join me to be doing some clinics and workshops herself there. CHA, in case you're not familiar, is a nonprofit, member-driven organization. Their mission is to promote safety and excellence in horsemanship. We do that by certifying horse professionals, accrediting riding programs, and also publishing some great educational resources. You can find out more at cha.horse about the conference and about the programs we offer. And by the way, be sure to check out their YouTube channel. They've got tons of informative educational videos. Uh, several of them I have actually uh, done for them. So it's a great resource for you too. After two years away from horse expos due to the pandemic, I'm super excited to have three horse expos lined up for early 2022, one in Oregon, one in Idaho, and in Wisconsin. I can't wait to see all the crowds, to talk to people face-to-face, -face, and to do live presentations again. I'm really looking forward to that. Again, you can find out more at juliegoodnight.com events. And while you're there, check out my online short course on building your confidence with horses. Also, we have memberships and online coaching programs at juliegoodnight.com join. Plus, we've got innovative grooming tools, tack, equipment, and educational resources at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Today's podcast topic is about spoiled horses. I'll talk about what that looks like, what causes well-behaved horses to act poorly, and how sometimes the owners are blissfully unaware that other people think their horse is spoiled. Most importantly, I'll talk about how to improve your handling techniques and turn your little monster into a perfect angel. In fact, this turns out to be such an important subject with so many layers to it that I decided to devote the entire podcast to this subject. Next month, I'll come back at you with my What the Hey Q&A segment, and we'll get caught up on all your questions. But for today, 
we're going to focus on improving your relationship with your horse. First, I'd like to talk a little bit about what we mean when we say a horse is spoiled and what it looks like. I spent a lot of time thinking about this because although I know in my head what I mean when I say a spoiled horse, it's kind of difficult to quantify, put your arms around it. But I would have to say this, a spoiled horse is a horse that has learned obnoxious behaviors in order to manipulate people and get what they want. In other words, it's an ill-mannered horse. This could be a horse that was never trained properly to begin with, and he has learned a lot of undesirable behaviors. I remember a horse that I worked with that was a quote-unquote problem horse. This horse actually had become aggressive to its owner, had attacked her a couple of different times and put her in the hospital with very serious injuries. So it wasn't a laughing matter um, in terms of this horse, but there was nothing wrong with this horse other than the mishandling that he had had his entire life. So from a very young horse, he had learned to pull on the rope when he wants something, to ultimately rip the horse, to ultimately rip the lead rope out of your hands and run away if he ever didn't want to do something. And as time went on and he got away with more and more behaviors, when she would try to stand up to him and correct those behaviors, he ultimately became aggressive towards her. Now, that wasn't the fault of the horse. That was the fault of the human teaching him improper things from a very young age and then acting as if he shouldn't be acting that way. So it, it was a unjust situation to the horse and the horse had just become a product of poor handling. So that was a horse that had never been trained properly to begin with, and his behavior had gone you know, well beyond obnoxious to, to the dangerous point, which just an indication of where this can end up. So the other kind of horse I think of in terms of a spoiled horse is actually a well-trained horse that has been mishandled and has become ill-mannered as a result. You hear references to this all the time when you're in my line of work. The story often starts with, well, when I first got this horse six months ago or a year ago, two years ago, whatever the case may be, when I first got him, he was great. He was really well behaved and now he's terrible. He bites. He won't do what I ask, you know, so on and so forth. Whenever I hear a story that starts with my horse used to be well-behaved or when I bought him, he was well-mannered, I instantly go to the thought that, well, you, then you in some way have contributed to the deterioration of his manners. So we need to figure out what went wrong there. I remember a horse that I sold to a friend of mine. I owned this horse for several years. I bought him for resale but I ended up keeping him for two or three years because I really liked riding him. And then I sold him to a friend of mine. Now, this was a mature, very well-trained, very seasoned horse, and he had really good manners. And she bought the horse, and then she took him away from my ranch, and she took him up actually to Denver, Colorado, 
in an area in the city where horse properties have been grandfathered in. And he was living in a nice little fancy, small uh, horse property. It was not a boarding stable, but a privately owned, you know, like four horse barn. And she took him up there and it's a beautiful barn with white PVC fences and the, all of that. And, and, but it was in the city nonetheless. So he was a little bit out of his element being a ranch horse and he needed a few days to adjust. But in the process, what happened was the first time she went to lead him out of his stall, which he was not used to being in, he got startled and he ran right over the top of her, knocked her out of the way and ran out of the stall. And she attributed that to, oh, well, he's new here. He got scared. He didn't mean anything by it. It's understandable. So I'm just going to let this go. So what do you think happened the next day when she went to lead him out of the stall? He runs over her again. And after two or three days of this, she called me to tell me she was having this problem. And I said, what in the world could have happened to this horse in such a short amount of time that he went from being really well-mannered to running over the top of someone? And I talked to her about it and, and pointed out that if that had been me, the very first time he ran over the top of me, I would have reacted to it then and there. I would have abruptly stopped him, backed him up. We'd have gone back in the stall. We'd have started that all over again until we got it right. I would never have let it progress beyond that first time. Yes, it was understandable that the horse startled. Yes, it was understandable he was out of his element, but we can't set a precedent because horses learn so very fast. And this was a really good example of a well-trained horse that was just momentarily mishandled. And that could have become a, a problem that escalated further and further. But fortunately, she nipped it in the bud right then and there. And that horse went immediately back to being a good citizen. Interestingly enough, often the owners of ill-mannered or spoiled horses are completely oblivious to the fact that they're that other people see their horses as ill-mannered or spoiled. In other words, I suppose it's because they don't really understand what a properly behaved, a properly trained, well-mannered horse looks like and how they behave. Otherwise, you wouldn't tolerate that kind of behavior. Now, let me just make a point here about manners. First of all, I've referred to obnoxious behaviors and undesirable behaviors. And there's a lot of things horses do that make them unpleasant to be around when they're, you know, headbutting you and stomping on you and barging into your space and dragging you around and all that kind of stuff. But you also have to keep in mind that, you know, for instance, there's a big, big difference between an ill-mannered dog and an ill-mannered horse. A lot of people have ill-mannered dogs, too, and they allow the dogs to just, you know, walk up to people and jump on them or slobber on them or, you know, put their paws on them, put their mouth on them. To me, that's an ill-mannered dog. And it's obnoxious, but it's probably not going to hurt you. An ill-mannered horse can hurt you without even trying. And so because we're talking about a thousand-pound flight animal, that also 
instinctively bites and strikes and kicks when he's in a sticky spot. We're talking about basic safety for the horses and the people around them. When you allow a horse to become ill-mannered, people are more likely to get hurt around them. And that's another reason why it's important to teach our horses to be well-mannered and, and to respond properly. So we deal with horse owners every single day that are having these kinds of problems with the horse, but they, they aren't really yet aware of the fact that it's probably related to the way they're handling the horse. One of my favorite episodes of Horse Master involved a woman and a bit who had a big warm blood horse and she rode three-day eventing, which is of course um, a combination of cross-country jumping, stadium jumping, and dressage. It's a very demanding sport. And she was attending a clinic one time. They were out on the jump course working throughout the day. And then at night, they came together for the workshop. And the trainer was making a point about something. And she made a reference to the spoiled horse. And the woman says she was sitting there in the workshop thinking about what the lady was talking about. And then she referred to the spoiled horse and it took her a while to figure out it was her horse they were talking about. And at the moment she realized it was her horse they were referring to, she was just appalled and embarrassed. And it made her reassess what was going on between her horse and herself. And ultimately she came to me for some help. And this horse was so funny. One of, the, one of the things I remember most about the episode was that we got some great before footage because she, as she was leading him around my property, he was just walking all over her, swinging his head at her, pushing her out of the way, dragging her, circling around her. And we, he looked really obnoxious. When I took a hold of him to do a little bit of groundwork with him to teach her how to properly handle him, I may have jerked the rope one time and told him, knock it off, stand still. And he instantly became a perfect angel for me. So this was a horse that clearly knew good manners, but between the woman and the horse, a bad pattern had developed. And there's no sense in wondering, you know, which was the chicken and which was the egg, because it was a pattern between them where they both were doing stuff wrong. She, you know, he was pushing on her and she was pushing and hauling back on him instead of uh, clarifying boundaries and clarifying expectations and letting the horse act properly. At the end of the day, she didn't really know what a well-mannered horse looks like and acts like and what she should expect of her horse. And I'm happy to report that she immediately got it. This was a great horse. He was really uh, quite a kind horse. He just had fallen into bad ways because of the way she was handling him. So that was a classic story of a spoiled horse and the rider or owner of the horse being total, totally oblivious to the fact 
that they're complicit in the horse's bad behavior or that the horse is even behaving badly to begin with. In preparation for today's podcast, I did a little Googling around to find out what people were saying about spoiled children, how they defined it and what the causes of it were. And I knew there would be good information there, but I was really struck by how many parallels there are between spoiled horses and spoiled children. By the way, a lot of uh, psychologists do not approve of the term spoiled children because they say it's a derogatory term and it um, labels a child. And I get that. And I, 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 I think it's a valid point. Uh, but I think we all know what we're talking about when we, when we do use that term. Uh, other psychologists had no problems at all using the term, have written entire books on it, and there's a lot of uh, ways to define it. But some, a few of the things that struck me as I was reading about children and parenting is, first of all, one psychologist defined a spoiled child as being excessively self-centered and having immature behavior. And certainly when we think about spoiled horses, all that horse is thinking about is me, 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 me. What do I want? How do I get what I want? Where's what I want? Where's my friend? Where's the barn? I don't want to do this. Instead of what does she want from me? How can I comply? What's the next thing we're going to do? So I don't know if we can really call that immature behavior in a horse because they are what they are, but certainly there's, there's, uh, an amount of self-centeredness there. It's all about me. Another psychologist described the symptoms of being spoiled as having frequent temper tantrums, possibly evolving into physical aggression, being defiant, having destructive behavior, and having a refusal to comply with simple requests. That, I think, often describes the behavior of horses that we think of as spoiled. They are often temper tantrum throwing animals, and they learn to get better and better and better at their temper tantrums because it usually gets them what they want, which is not to have to do something or go somewhere. A horse that has frequent temper tantrums has probably benefited from from the tantrums in some way, but this could also somewhat be a factor of temperament. In other words, some horses may be more prone to this type of behavior than others, just like some children may be more prone to it than others. But any horse that throws a temper tantrum and then benefits from it is going to do it again and get better and better and better at his tantrums because he benefited from it. Another way to look at a spoiled child, according to the psychologist, is having an inability to handle delayed gratification. And this made me think of horses a lot because horses can be very impatient animals when it comes to getting what they want. So for example, if I separate a horse from his buddy and I tie him up you know, a ways away, out of sight, and but he knows his, his buddy's just around the corner, he's going to be stomping his feet, whinnying, pulling on the rope, carrying on, 
and kind of just in general working himself up to a tantrum because he wants to be with that other horse right now. He doesn't want to spend one second away from that other horse. Through training and consistent handling day in and day out, that horse will learn that he has to tolerate separation and that he will eventually get to go back to his buddy, but he just has to learn to be patient and tolerate the separation. So that delayed uh, inability to handle delayed gratification is very difficult from, for horses because they are right here and now operating in the present and they can't think of anything else other than what they want right now. So a lot of times when we see horses, problems with horses that don't tie well, um, they're fidgety, they don't stand still, they're herd bound, they won't leave the barnyard. All these things have to do with an inability to handle delayed gratification. Another psychiatrist talked about in spoiled children that there is obstructive behavior and manipulation to get one's own way. And horses also are very good at this when they don't want to do something and when they've learned that through the, these kinds of behaviors, they can get out of doing something or get away with doing something. And they will do a lot of different antics to avoid doing something when they want to refuse to do something. And then it's important to point out, and this is a reason why a lot of people who have spoiled horses don't even understand that they're spoiled horses or understand the dynamics that is existing. But horses can be very manipulative of the behaviors of others. We see this in the herd all the time. We see jealousy. We see possessiveness. We see infighting between horses. It only stands to reason that they will also target this behavior towards people. If horses can get a reaction out of you, they will do it again and again and again. So horses instinctively want to manipulate and control others. That's one way that horses establish dominance in the herd. And in the failure of strong leadership around a horse, they will begin to manipulate humans as well. Hey, all of us have been manipulated by a horse. If you've owned a horse and, and established a long-lasting relationship with a horse, I guarantee you he has learned to manipulate you in some ways. Most of the time, it's very benign. Like your friend walks up and he suggests maybe it'd be a good idea to go over there and talk to the friend and stop so he doesn't have to work anymore. And you just sort of, you know, blissfully go along with it. So horses ma manipulate our behavior in very, very subtle ways. It happens to me all the time with a clever horse. I realize, you know, oh, wait a minute, he that horse just made me do that. So we, we have to be very, very careful around horses that they don't learn to manipulate and control our behavior because then, then that, that's going to come out at the worst possible time. Another way that they defined a spoiled child is uh, that this child doesn't respond to no or stop. And what I would, I see this all the time with what I would call spoiled horses, where we often refer to these as disobedient horses. And so 
you, they don't turn when you want them to turn. They don't stop when you want them to stop. They don't go when you want them to go because they have a total disregard for your authority. And they have come to learn that you lack follow through and you lack the necessary skill to intervene. And so they just don't listen anymore. They don't, they know they don't have to, so they don't bother. So that reminded, that's what I thought of when I read that a child that doesn't respond to no or stop. Sometimes our horses learn the same thing. A spoiled child makes unfair or excessive demands on others, doesn't respect the rights of others, and is stuck in me mode. And I think that of all the things I've described in spoiled horses that you can see um, all of these things, makes unfair or excessive demands on others, just wants only what it wants without considering any other ramifications. And as I said just a minute ago, oftentimes the spoiled horses I see have not only have little respect for the authority of their owners or handlers, but sometimes they've come to out the outright disdain their handlers because of their lack of authority. So these horses um, can turn around really fast and it is often more about the person than it is the horse. So that's the good news. It's, it's fixable and it's often fixable very, very quickly. At the end of the day, when I was reading um, about spoiled children, again and again and again, what I read was that you have to remember that a spoiled child is a failure of the parents to enforce consistent age-appropriate limits, that spoiled children are made and not born, that if we have parented permissively and have never set limits, the child will not be used to accommodating appropriate limits. And this is just a perfect segue into horses. Horses, spoiled horses are made, not born. They are a reflection of the handling and training they have had. There's nothing wrong with the horses. They've just learned the wrong things. And this can be particularly tricky with horses. Let's, let's talk about how, how it happens with horses. First of all, remember that every time you handle a horse or ride a horse, you're training it. A horse never stops learning. And the good news is that if you're good at what you're doing, you can train a horse really fast. The bad news is horses learn bad things just as quickly as they learn good things. And so if a horse has been poorly handled over time and a horse by nature is, a, is manipulative and tries to get away with stuff, then over time you've got... Uh, Quite a, quite a few tricks that horse has learned. He's learned, uh, he never stops learning. And so every time he's been successful in his undesirable behavior in getting what he wants, he's perfected it a little bit more and it's become more and more ingrained in his habitual behavior. Horses learn by making associations between one thing and another. So, for instance, a, a spoiled horse might learn that when he stomps his feet and fusses and slings his head around, my owner will let me, will untie me and move me away from here or take me back to my friend. Horses can learn 
through training when we create deliberate associations, like when I gently squeeze your ribs with both my legs, that means go faster. And so he begins to associate that cue, a little squeeze of the legs, with him moving his feet faster. But horses can also learn and do also learn every minute of every day by making undeliberate associations or associations we never meant for them to make, which is, uh, well, let's just say it's a random thing. Let's say that you you were walking by a mailbox and at the moment a bee stung him, but he happened to be looking at the mailbox when the bee stung him and he made an association between the bee sting and the mailbox. So now he's afraid of mailboxes. So Sometimes horses make crazy associations we have no really understanding of. We just know now he's afraid of mailboxes. But the in training horses, we try to create deliberate associations. However, because horses are always learning no matter what you do, and because every time you handle or train a horse, you're, you're teaching it something, horses often make associations we don't want them to in in terms of utilizing bad behavior or undesirable behavior to get what he wants or to make the owner um, change what they're doing, not ask that or back off or don't make me do that. Horses are also really relationship oriented. And because of that and because of their linear hierarchy in the herd, they often naturally seek to control the actions of others. This is used on a regular basis as a means to establish dominance in the herd. So they, you know, dominant horses will herd the subordinate horses, push them around, get in between other horses. But horses, one way in which horses establish dominance is by controlling the actions of others. And they can be very clever in this regard when it comes to controlling the actions of humans. Horses will learn to get reactions out of you. Um, he Maybe your horse did a, a random behavior that when you were riding, let's say you asked him to canter and he crow hopped a little bit and then that frightened you. So you stopped him. And maybe you didn't even ask him to canter again for a while because you're thinking, oh, if I ask him again, he's going to crow hop again. Horses are very quick and clever about stuff like that. And even though he didn't set out to create that dynamic, he will become aware of it immediately. He can become aware of it on the very first incident. And that's a horse that begins to learn that If he does something that makes you afraid, you'll back off of him and you won't ask him to do it anymore. So he starts playing with that and he starts doing it a little bit more or or, uh, maybe trying it over here or he's going to expand on that and perfect his technique there because he made an association between his actions and your reaction. So we have to be really careful about that in, in, with horses. They can be so subtle about it that we often don't know this is happening until it's too late. Horses are also very spatially aware. They know exactly where they are in space and where you are. They're very boundary driven. But humans, not so much. We are not 
very good at spatial awareness. Humans, particularly around horses, often have a total lack of personal boundaries. They allow horses to come into their personal space far too close, far too often. Any time is too often as far as I'm concerned. I never, ever let a horse move any part of his body into my space uninvited because I know uh, what a dangerous road that is and what it can lead to. So people often are very poor with their personal boundaries. Sometimes people that have great boundaries in other areas of their life, in other words, their children are really well behaved and their dogs are really well behaved, but they allow their horses to walk all over them and headbutt them, put their mouth on them and do all kinds of things like that, which by the way, ultimately leads to nipping and biting. So oftentimes when we're dealing with spoiled horses, we're dealing with a horse that has no respect for the boundaries of humans, that will run into humans, bump into humans, headbutt humans, move into pressure. And uh, the all of these things are not only obnoxious, but dangerous as well. So first thing we have to do is get people to become aware of their own personal boundaries and to learn to defend their boundaries. Horses respect and appreciate that. And they will look at you in a whole new light when you establish your own boundaries. If you don't, they will probe your boundaries and this often leads to testing behavior with horses. So they push a little bit on you and see if you'll back up and then they know they can push you. So they push a little bit more and a little bit more. Another way that horses become spoiled is through indulgent handling, letting the horse do whatever he wants having a lack of follow-through on your commands. In other words, you ask the horse to do something, and then when he doesn't, you just back off, go do something else. So with every incident of that, the horse comes to have less and less respect for your authority, and you, because in that process, you're teaching the horse you have no authority. Remember, uh, indulgent handling um, it doesn't work well with children and it doesn't work well with horses. They don't always turn into good stellar citizens and do everything you want them to do um, through indulgent handling. Look, they're, they're comfort-seeking animals. They don't want to have to work. They don't want to have to tolerate all your little um, wants and wishes. That's kind of feels like work to them. And if they can get out of it, they will. So when we try to bribe a horse into being friends with them, we call them, let them do whatever they want, um, allow them to decide when they quit working or decide if they work at all, then um, that's a slippery slope to go down with horses because eventually you're going to end up with a horse that's unwilling to do anything. And that horse ultimately learns to disdain people. One way that indulgent handling often goes bad is in the hand feeding of treats. The same people that tend to indulge horses and let them do whatever they want are often the same people that like to hand feed treats to the horse. And 
I would like for people to reflect back on any time you've ever seen a child throwing a tantrum in a grocery store because he couldn't get a candy bar. So that's what indulgent behavior leads to. With horses, it's particularly dangerous because horses in part establish dominance in the herd by taking away food from other horses, by controlling the resources of the herd. And when you hand feed treats to horses and that horse, as he becomes spoiled, he's coming to not only to expect you to give him treats, but to demand that you give him the treat now. Um, that's kind of basically a grocery store tantrum. And because horses establish dominance by taking away food from others, and he, if he comes to believe that he is making you hand over the food to him, you are also teaching him that he is dominant over you. So this is a very dangerous area to get into with horses. Yes, it will lead to biting behavior when you hand feed treats, but not because the horse mistakes your finger for a carrot, although that can happen. It generally leads to biting behavior for dominance reasons. Biting is the most dominant behavior of horses. And he, as this goes on over time and he's demanding that you feed him the treats, he's also coming to learn that he's very dominant over you. And so he begins to bite as a means to remind you that he's the dominant one in the relationship. So again, this is very, very slippery slope to head down with horses because they're big, dangerous animals when we allow them to act in these undesirable ways. And one final thing I'll mention about how a horse can become spoiled, and this has to do with how a really well-trained and well-tempered horse can really fairly rapidly go bad. And it has to do with a horse that knows and understands the proper rules of behavior. He's been handled by people that were very strict about manners, that were very consistent in their enforcement and reinforcement, that were very fair and deliberate in the way they correct a horse, um, but were most of all consistent with follow through and with high expectations of good behavior. Then when that same horse gets around a person that is oblivious to what proper behavior is, that doesn't reinforce and follow through, that does have an indulgent attitude towards the horse, pampering, babying, giving him treats, saying, oh, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. Um, the horse that has before then been well-handled, well-trained, well-behaved, he sees such a drastic difference in those two situations, in those different people, that it really comes to the forefront of his consciousness that you really don't know what you're doing, do you? Apparently, all the rules I've been taught up until now no longer apply here. And so it's such a shocking difference to the horse that they often... Uh, you know, they, it's just, it's sometimes as if they don't even know how to act because their normal world of strict accountability and, um, you know, certain rules of behavior 
has disappeared before their very eyes and they don't know how to act. And the choices they make aren't always good because the person handling them is also not handling them properly. So these horses can devolve very quickly in their behavior through no fault of their own and entirely through um, inadequate and inconsistent handling of the horse. Now that we've talked about what a spoiled horse looks like and how he gets there, let's talk about some ways we can reprogram these horses. As I said, we can change the behavior of a spoiled horse very quickly by changing the person that's handling him. Remember, it's most important that the owner or handler realizes that they need to change their ways of operating around the horse. Often these horses will act totally different around another person. Over my career, I've trained a lot of spoiled horses and I like working with horses like this because they do so well so fast when you're just clear about what you expect of them and what the manners are and you treat them in a consistent and fair fashion. They actually turn around really fast and come to seek out that kind of leadership. Horses like to know what's going to happen next. They like law and order. They like the presence of a strong leader. And so these horses turn around really fast in the hands of a trainer. So one of the first things that needs to happen is a realization that this is not a problem of the horse, but more of a factor of how that horse is being handled or what that horse knows or doesn't know. So first and foremost, I think that it's important anyone handling a horse understands what your own personal boundaries are. For me, it's as far as I can reach around me with both my hands. That's my little circle of personal space. And I never let a horse come into that space. When I handle a horse for the first time, he will learn that about me in about the first 10 seconds because I have a zero tolerance for a horse moving into my space. Now, look, if you had spent half a century training horses and being headbutted and run over and knocked into, and you know what a slippery slope that is, you would be the same way. So many, many problems will be resolved when the handler defines their own boundaries. People do a lot to erode their own authority with the horse when they handle the horse too close up, when they, you know, kiss and pet on its nose and snuggle with it and give it treats. And if you're hanging all over your horse at every moment, then you not only have no respect for your horse's personal space, but you have no respect for your own personal space. And he has no respect for your own personal space. So becoming aware of boundaries and how your horse, how many different ways your horse can infringe upon those boundaries, that will do a whole lot um, to get you on the right track to dealing with a spoiled horse. In the case of a brand new horse, I think it's very important that you avoid the overwhelming temptation of pampering, indulging, and bribing that horse into liking you. It never works and it often backfires into a horse that actually dislikes you and distrusts you. 
because in the horse world, it doesn't happen that way. So horses always seek acceptance into the herd, and that rarely comes easily. Horses have to demonstrate that they're willing to be a good citizen in the herd, that they're willing to respect the leadership of the herd before they're granted even provisional membership into a herd. And so that's how your horse views his relationship with you. So if you start a relationship with a new horse by trying to bribe him and pamper him and hand feed him treats, he is immediately suspicious of you and he is immediately thinking, oh, I can I can control this person. I can be dominant over this person. So in reality, when I'm establishing a relationship with a new horse, just like perhaps if you're an employer and you're, a sta- and you're hiring a new employee, you don't want to hire that person and on the very first day say, um, oh, by the way, I don't care if you're late and take as much time as you want for lunch. It doesn't matter. And, um, oh, this might be a little bit hard, but you don't have to really do it. Um, all the way. If you, if, if, you know, if you don't like sweeping the floor, you don't have to. So I would never hire an employee and set that kind of precedent on the first hour of their job. And it's kind of the same way with a horse. Whatever precedent you, you set in those very first moments, first hours, and first days of your relationship, that's the impression that is seared into his memory So you want to make sure that you're not giving stuff away in those moments. I need the horse to respect my authority and leadership first and foremost. I don't really care if he likes me. I do need him to to accept my authority. And I want him to learn over time that I'm going to be a strong leader, but I'm going to be a fair leader and I'm going to be the kind of leader that he seeks out. He'll learn that over time. And in that process as he shows me signs of trying hard to win my acceptance or trying hard to do what I'm asking him to do. And then I reward him and I praise him and I give him something he wants for that trying. That's how you develop that kind of relationship with the horse, where he wants to be with you, where he trusts you, where he looks up to you, where he begs for your acceptance and he's eager to please. So we don't get there through indulgence. And just remember, in the case of a new horse, your first impressions are going to stay with the horse forever. So don't give yourself a way to be a total pansy. Uh, You can walk all over me. Um, I will suck up to you and bring you treats and breakfast in bed and everything if if only you'll like me. Um, These are the wrong kinds of things to present to a horse. And it's actually not what the horse wants anyway. So it it leads to a bad dynamic. I like for people to think of action and reaction. If the horse is making an action to which you are reacting, then the horse is in charge. You're the one capitulating. If you are making the actions to which the horse is reacting, then you are the one in charge. And You want to always keep this in the back of your mind around horses because they are so clever at manipulation that if they learn that something they did caused a certain reaction from you, caused you to back away or stop asking or back down or move out of their space, 
they always notice that. And it becomes sort of a little point in their column. And after a period of time, if they've scored 100 points and you've got none, by then the horse is in, is totally in charge of you and your reactions. And so this builds over time with horses. And the sooner the person can be aware of that action-reaction dynamic, um, the less likely that is to happen. Sometimes a dynamic develops between a horse and the rider or handler that is a very uh, negative dynamic when if the horse learns to threaten bad behavior and then begins to hold the person hostage to its bad behavior. That could look like a horse threatening to buck if you turn him away from his friend or away from the barn or try to leave the barnyard. It could uh, be a horse threatening to rear. It could be a horse threatening to spook or run off. Um, horses are very clever at learning. Again, it goes back to that action-reaction dynamic. And so let's say a horse one day just randomly spooked at something legitimate, but again, it, it, it's it scared you bad enough that you quit riding and got off, he might actually learn that that type of behavior benefits him. And it's not that he's so calculating that he's going to sit back and say, oh, tomorrow when she rides me, I'm going to, hopefully she'll take me around there and I can spook at the garbage can. He's not calculating or strategizing in that way. He just comes to associate his fearful, flighty behavior with you quitting on him. And so he benefits from it. And so that behavior bubbles up to the surface quicker. A horse holding you hostage to threatening behavior can, can look like a lot of different things. Like often I see, um, well, let's say you're asking a horse to load in, in the horse trailer and you know he's going to be a problem. He's been every time, other time you've tried to do it, he's been a problem. And so you're leading him up to the trailer and all of a sudden he bows up and he props up and he sort of acts like he's going to throw a tantrum. And because you expect them then to throw a tantrum, what a lot of people will do at that moment is turn around and start over. So they'll turn around, go away from the trailer and think to themselves, oh, okay, oh, I got to avoid that tantrum. tantrum. I'm going to approach this again and see if we can get away with it. But you never get away with it again because in the horse's mind, he's associating his threat of a tantrum with you circling him away, back away from the trailer. It doesn't matter to him that you then bring him back to the trailer because he knows how to fix that by throwing a tantrum or threatening to throw a tantrum. So this kind of dynamic is, is very challenging, uh, particularly because oftentimes the human Part of the equation is oblivious to the fact that there's a dynamic there and the horse is, is responding to the dynamic. So oftentimes, if you have a horse that's doing a lot of downright refusing, threatening bad behavior, threatening some kind of aggressive behavior, that's probably a good time to consult a professional trainer because that's a dynamic that's going to have to change on both ends. The horse is going to have to have some remedial training and the person is going to have to um, definitely 
change their way of operating around the horse. The good news is that when you change, the horse will change with you. I say that in clinics all the time because it's true. And that's how we get some really fast turnarounds with these horses. Oftentimes, the person just becoming aware of these dynamics is really all it takes to change the dynamic. However, you should always expect resistance. When Look, however the horse has learned to act, however he's acting right now is the way he prefers to act. And if he's been acting that way in response to things you are doing over a long period of time, even when you become aware and you change the way you're acting, you can't expect the horse to just immediately roll over and give up, especially on behavior that he's, that's been benefiting him for a very long time. So you always expect resistance in the beginning. And there's an old saying in horse training that says it always gets worse before it gets better. And that's what this refers to. So if my horse, let's say he's spoiled to the point where he, I can't even get him to leave the gate of the arena. He won't even go all the way around the arena. He's so gate sour. I'm not just going to get out there and immediately, um, you know, give him one correction and then have that horse be trotting around the arena perfectly. He is going to fight me because it has always worked in the past. I'm going to have to sort of duke it out with that horse until he realizes this isn't like it was in the past. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not going to take no for an answer. And he will generally escalate his behavior before he gives in. Not always. Some horses will give in right away. But we always have to expect resistance. It always gets worse before it gets better. But keep in mind that something I learned from one of my mentors um, decades ago really applies here. And that is that emotionality has no place in the training of horses. Be wary of horses that learn to press your emotional buttons. And if I let a horse's bad behavior get me all riled up to the point where I'm yelling and screaming and, and, and you know, jerking and spurring and doing all that kind of crazy stuff, then it's not hard for that horse to learn how to press my emotional buttons. And so what's really important at all times in dealing with horses, particularly challenging ones, is that we learn to stay in complete control of our emotions. You want to have a stone cold, hard, consistent, unrileable approach to the horse. Let him be the one that's throwing the tantrums and not you. Some specific things that you can work on to reestablish a more productive, a more respectful relationship with your horse to, to turn around a horse that has learned improper behavior or ill-mannered behavior. First of all, I would always start from the ground with these horses on establishing boundaries, establishing rules of behavior. Um, you know, this is your place. This is how we lead. This, when I ask you to stand still, you stand still. You don't get to look all around. You do what I ask you to do. Um, change a lot of changes of direction, putting the horse to work, letting him rest. These are all of the things that I cover in my most popular ground training uh, video called Lead Line Leadership, how to establish and defend your own boundaries, how to control the horse's space and actions, teach him how to stand still, 
be able to control and move all parts of the horse's body, his nose, feet, shoulder, and hips. Teach that horse that there's no looking around when you're handling him. He has to stay present here with you. He has to stay either focused on you or focused on nothing. These are all basic kindergarten manners, uh, in my opinion, for horses. But oftentimes horses miss this kind of training. So we can have very mature horses that have just missed out on proper manners. Or, as I mentioned before, we can have horses that know this stuff well, but they've learned to act poorly by having poor handling. Another thing that I would do a lot with horses that are a little bit on the spoiled side is I would make sure they spend a lot of time at what we call the patient's post. And that means being tied up away from their buddies in a comfortable location and learning to wait. And this is a training technique that young horses need to go through in order to learn patience. Um, Horses that routinely get tied up for a period of time every day, whether that be, you know, 20 minutes or an hour or whatever, our horses, generally we get all our horses out at the same time and then we sort of groom and ride them one by one. So they get that time at the patient's post, learn to stand by themselves, by the way, without you fussing over them and giving them a pedicure and a Um, you know, hairdo and all that. So this is time that they spend alone and they just have to, this is time when they learn about that delayed gratification thing that sometimes we just have to accept our fate in life, which is right now I just have to be patient and wait. And if I am, good things will happen to me. So these skills aren't natural to the horse. We have to train them into the horse And just spending a little bit of time tied every day helps remind the horse that sometimes he has to abide by rules. Sometimes he doesn't get immediately what he wants, but that he will ultimately come to appreciate being tied up because it means it's not, he's not being ridden during that time. So he'll learn that it's not a bad place to be and he'll accept uh, his patience or he'll accept his fate in life a little bit more and learn to develop patience. When it comes to working with that spoiled horse under saddle, first and foremost, it's important to focus on making sure that you are in control of direction and speed at all times. I talk a lot in my clinics and on my website about having nose control of the horse. The horse's nose needs to be in front of him when I'm riding him. He doesn't get to look all around searching for other horses, searching for problems, things like that. So he needs to focus on the task in front of him and stay present in, um, in this place with me. So we want to make sure that horse is not looking all around, calling out, focusing on everything and everyone but me. So in order to do this, I will, first of all, I'll correct him. If he picks his head up and turns his nose way to the right or left, I'll just correct him with the opposite rein and say, no, you don't get to do that. And then I'll put him to work, changing his direction a lot, giving him a lot of cues, you know, walk, turn, trot, walk, turn right, turn left, um, things like that so that he has to focus on me and the directives I'm giving him. As you're riding that spoiled horse, 
you need to become aware of all the small disobediences that lead to the big ones. Often people have no idea their horse is, is disobedient or spoiled until something big or major happens. But for days and weeks and months leading up to that, you have been allowing the horse to get away with small disobediences like cutting corners, slowing down when he wants, stopping when he wants, pulling towards the gate, um, all of these things. Horses can be very clever about approaching little by little by little in the hopes you don't notice they're cutting the corners or you don't notice they're slowing down when they pass the gate. And for every time something like that occurs, the horse is learning tactics. By And then you don't become aware of it until the horse like refuses to leave the gate, until something big and major happens. Refusals, downright flat-out refusals, are big. And generally, a lot of little stuff has led up to that major refusal along the way. So I can't tell you exactly uh, what what kinds of things you may be ignoring with your horse, but I can almost guarantee you're there if you've gotten to the point where your horse has become totally disobedient or um, refusal, what I call total mutiny. I've talked a lot about the golden moments and anyone who's ever done a horsemanship clinic with me has heard my discussion on the golden moments. And this has to do with the way you should start every single ride with your horse spending five or 10 minutes engaging your horse, testing his obedience, asking him to do stuff so that he, he first of all, so that he reveals any disobedient thoughts he might be having and we address them right here and now. And second of all, your horse, if we start every ride in this way, your horse will come to um, approach your riding sessions as a working session. He'll be in a working frame of mind when you start. I have written about the golden moments and done numerous videos about the golden moments that you should do with your horse when you start every ride. So I'm not going to get into great detail here. There's lots of information on my website that you can find. Um, just go to signin.juliegoodnight.com. And it's a good habit to get into your uh, general horse handling skills because it gives you more awareness of how and when your horse is threatening disobedience and it gives your horse more indication that you're the one in charge. Um, just a few more tips I can give you when it comes to reinforcement and follow through with a horse. Horses thrive on consistency in handling and strong leadership. It is inconsistency that makes a horse learn to distrust you or have a lack of appreciation for your authority. And so if one day you allow a horse, let's say, to walk all over you or put his lips on you, and then the next day you admonish him for it, he comes to distrust you. He doesn't ever really know what the right way to act is and when he's going to get in trouble and when he doesn't. So having consistency in your reinforcement and follow through is really critical to establishing uh, good leadership with your horse. Stay the course. When you are issuing a correction to the horse or asking a horse to do something he's refusing to do, 
just maintain a steady course. Don't escalate what you're asking or don't escalate the pressure. Don't get emotional about it. But once you have asked a horse to do something, you really must follow through and reinforce. If you don't, what you have just taught the horse is that he does not have to comply. He does not have to be disobedient. Therefore, if you don't think you can make a horse do something, or if you don't think you're capable or willing to reinforce, then you should not ask. Uh, leaving the barnyard is a good example of this, or even really loading in a horse trailer. So if I'm not willing or able to properly reinforce and follow through on something, don't ask the horse to do it. You're better off never having asked than to ask and fail, particularly when it comes to leaving the barnyard. So if I've got a herd-bound horse that's just gotten so spoiled to where he just stomps his feet and refuses to leave and he's threatening to buck and rear and do all that, if I make him leave, if I capitulate to that, I am reinforcing that behavior in a very big way and it's going to be even more difficult and it's going to be more likely to actually for that threatening behavior to actually become real behavior. So I would have been far better off not having asked that horse to leave than asking and failing. So keep that in mind. In, in the case of leaving the barnyard, maybe I just need to go back and do some more remedial work with that horse in the barnyard. I need to figure out where my lack of authority begins and work on that. Corrections, when you make them on a horse for displaying bad behavior, corrections should be fair and they should be, uh, you know, I always like to say let the punishment fit the crime. In other words, if it was a minor infraction, it should be a, a relatively minor correction. However, in order to change behavior, it's important that you find the amount of pressure that motivates change. I don't want to use any more pressure than that, but I don't want to use less pressure than that either. I need to find just the right amount of pressure that is going to motivate the horse to find a different answer. More pressure than that really just becomes ultimately brutal, and less pressure than that teaches the horse you lack follow through, that you lack a willingness to reinforce. So this is a very challenging thing with, with horses and it particularly is challenging uh, when people aren't feeling all that confident around horses. Beware of overcorrecting a horse. That can develop animosity between you and the horse. Um, correction can quickly become retribution if you are becoming emotional around a horse that's pushing your buttons or, or acting in undesirable and dangerous ways. So when I see somebody, um, let's say a horse moved into them, and let's say it was even in a rude way, uh, maybe in a dominant way, and the person, let's say, jerks the lead rope and kind of, you know, snarls at the horse, to back him up a step, but then they keep jerking and keep backing and keep jerking and keep backing and now they're yelling at the horse and they're, you know, hitting it with a lead rope and backing it all the way across the arena. That's not a correction. That's retribution. And horses do not respond well at all to that. So if a horse enters my space 
and I need to take corrective action to move him judiciously out of my space. I'm going to do it in a one and done fashion. I'm going to, I might, you know, hiss at him a little bit as I jerk the rope, stomp my feet a couple of times. But the instant he steps back, the whole thing's over. Done, move on. So be very careful about overcorrecting. Be very careful about bringing your emotionality into your corrections and be very wary of when correction turns to retribution for the horse because that's going to hedge you in some uh, really bad dynamics with that horse. At the end of the day, a horse with obnoxious spoiled behavior is a product of the training and handling it's had. Nothing more, nothing less. The horse can't be blamed or faulted. These horses are always salvageable. And often their behavior can turn around really fast. You'd be surprised with consistent and clear handling. If after listening to this podcast, you determine that your own horse is spoiled, you should examine your own behavior and actions around that horse. Do some reading on my website and some studying. Maybe you want to think about joining my online curriculum and and get personalized coaching from me or another trainer. But realize that you may be trapped in a codependent cycle with your horse and you may need outside help to regain control. There's nothing wrong with that. Consult a trainer, consider a horsemanship clinic to help you reset the dynamic of your horse. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad horse and there's no such thing as bad behavior. There's undesirable behavior. And often what we think of as a bad horse is a horse that's just acting the way he's been taught to act. So when it comes to spoiled horses, uh, first and foremost, we have to look at the handling that they're getting and what led them there and make changes on that level first. Hopefully you never have to deal with a horse that's throwing tantrums or refusing your requests. But when it happens, it's good to be armed with the knowledge and solutions you need to get through it. I hope you found some useful information here that will help you when and if you do encounter this difficult situation. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your higher level skills, I hope you found some helpful information to make your horse life better. Next month on my podcast, I'll tackle another horse training topic that you've been asking for, so please join me. Make sure you hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook. My page is at Julie Goodnight, or you can email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot, and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. Don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, 
all searchable content, by the way, or enroll in my Horsemanship Short Course on Building Confidence. We're adding more short courses and webinars to help you reach your horsemanship goals. Also, you can join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum and personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Thank you.